You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Liam, I have a movie pitch for you. Shoot. I want to make a movie about an immortal who's been living for centuries, traveling from battle to battle, trying to find a meaning to it all while keeping under the radar so that their secret can't be exposed and used for evil purposes. How is that not just Highlander? There can be more than one? Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast where we line scripts up in front of a firing squad, pump them full of holes, and see if they come back to life. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are talking about Old Guard, the The very recent film. Yes, sorry? The Old Guard. (laughs) The. Old Guard, comma, the. Very important because there is an Old Guard from the 1930s. We, We don't want... Confusion. Oh, did I straight up say old guard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, so, fair enough. I thought it was like a Megan B. Stallion joke or something, and I'm like, I don't... Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, The Old Guard, uh, uh, the very recent film uh, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, uh, written by Greg Rucka of the graphic novel, novel fame that this is, uh, of course, based on, uh, and uh, stars Charlize Theron, uh, Kiki Lane, Matthias Schonartz. Uh, Marwin Kenzari, Lusa Martinelli, and Chuatel Ejoe. Oh, I fucked it up. <laughs> I also think it's Luca Marinelli. Look at what I say. Uh, Lusa. Yeah, that's fine. I was, I was getting. I was, I was. Uh, when I got to four of them, I'm like, I'm on a roll, and then didn't focus on the words I was thinking. I was literally in my head, like picturing me like running like chariots of fire to the end of this list of names. It's like I'm gonna make it. it. Was, I'm it gonna was, make it. It, uh, it was like you were running a triathlon, and just inside of the finish line, your body seized up. Each one of these was a hurdle, and on number four, yeah, I was feeling, I was feeling so good that I got cocky uh, and dropped the ball on uh, old Luca. Um, yeah, Google the cast list. They're all delightful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and to varying degrees of difficulty in pronunciations of their names. Yeah. yeah well, it's a, they got kind of an international cast together, so. And I'm just a dumb Westerner who couldn't be bothered to proofread this before the show started. Uh, it was released, of course, on July 10th, 2020, uh, and it had a budget of a cool $70 million. That Netflix bank, uh, they, they cut the checks in the shape of dump trucks, as I understand them. Yeah, yeah not, they kind of they have to. Can't really <laughs> say what the uh, what the box office take is either, because it's not a box ten office. $10 bucks a month? Yeah, 10 bucks a month. <laughs> that's what it made. Yeah. <laughs> It's the it's the lowest grossing blockbuster of all time. Yeah. Or high, yeah. Or highest cuz then if you think about that 10 bucks a month, even people who just use Netflix for like the Great British Bake Off and you know what I mean, technically bought a ticket to uh The Old Guard. Now, how much of that 70 million dollar budget do you suspect went to Charlie's their own? Oh, a couple mil. A well, couple yeah. mil. <laughs> a couple tens of mil, I would imagine. Like, appara- like obviously because Netflix doesn't have, you know, the the uh, box office bank and there's not any back end to be made, you know, the, the Netflix tends to yeah, have all to put everything up front. So she had to have made a, a, a third of that almost, I would imagine. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's who's that's that's between her and her accountant, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. It's definitely a weird business model. This uh, this kind of blockbuster, uh, especially a, a good one, because I know they've tried this with things like uh, Bright. Um, uh, but yeah, this is this is sort of like their attempt to do the the like a, a big bankable action movie star. Maybe I can see this have, would have been in theaters had uh, we not been in the situation we're in now. Um, do you think it would? Do you think they would have put it in the theater? 
they might have done a limited release. Uh, there was so there are some very arcane rules uh, that you need to follow if you want to be nominated for an Academy Award at all. Um, and that includes playing on X amount of theater screens for X amount of weeks in the Los Angeles area. And in order for some previous Netflix movies, such as uh, The Irishman, um, mm-hmm. to be nominated, they had to follow that rule and do a limited uh, a limited theatrical release of the film. And so if they had wanted any Oscar gold for this, and I, I mean, you could reasonably say maybe you, you want some of the technical awards for it, um, they would have had to have done a limited theatrical release. And I, I think that it might have made some money on that. I think people would have gone and seen it on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking uh, today with the way that Netflix markets its movies, and I, I kind of wonder if maybe they do some of their bigger releases a disservice. Um, because you don't seem to get the same lead up to the release of a movie that you would with a the- with a theatrical release. Like, um, you know, normally with the big blockbusters, you get like the teaser trailer, um, the first trailer, which is just like all the cool actiony bits. Then the third trailer um, that gives you a real good idea what the plot is about, and and then a, a series of TV spots, and those all hit two weeks before the movie release, right? And I, I tend to, and, and maybe it's just anecdotal and I just don't see them very often, but I, I don't, I don't see like the, the, the hype and the lead up with Netflix films. And um, I know this, this isn't a criticism against the movie, but I like sometimes that hype can really play into your experience of the movie. I don't know if you guys find that. It can. Uh, I think it, yeah. In in my case, it was, I didn't know anything about this film before we chose it. Um, it's I'm not a uh, it's not that I don't like action movies that's obviously I do um, but I like them either in space or about bank robberies or like funny uh, just a straight up like um, sort of modern warfare military action any kind of like mm. terrorism espionage like um, really just never does it like it just it just goes right past me they're like john grisham novels like i just don't give a shit um and so when we suggest this i'm like yeah i'll bite i haven't watched a movie like this in a while and i loved every second of it i didn't <laughs> know it was about immortals when it started 100 percent. yeah that would have been a pretty great surprise when it was when deli- and i think it attributed quite a bit to how much i enjoyed this because like reading some of the listener comments we have later it's like got pretty mixed response but like i went into it a about as like I knew Charlize Theron was in it, and it was an action movie with the kind of title that I'd expect an action movie to have. That was it, and I'm I I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned that against what I said because you like it. You're there's so, so many different ways exactly. that your your experience can be colored by by your previous experience of the movie or or how you've come to know it. Yeah, it's, it exactly affected my expectation in that I had none because I hadn't seen any TV spots or bus ads or, or trailers that I, you know, yeah. had to sit through before the movie I wanted you don't, to see. You don't have any lofty expectations or anything like that coming into it either. That can't, yeah. you know, that can work against a movie. Sorry, Scott, I interrupted you before you were about to say something. I was just going to say that Netflix usually drops the trailer like a week before it comes out. It seems that way. It seems like a lot of their bigger releases even uh, tend to uh, just get dropped on us. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, the Netflix stuff that I get excited for is stuff where I, like, follow the careers of the people, like... I I was looking forward to the Midnight Gospel because I, you know what I mean? I like that kind of stuff. Um, but like most Netflix things, yeah, they just like, unless I, I'm already following the careers of the creators, I don't, it doesn't, you know, it just yeah. shows up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and sometimes even something like I'm, <clears throat> uh, I'm kind of like interested in, uh, I, I tend not to follow up with. It's a weird thing where the accessibility of it um sometimes almost plays against it for me like you know i'm like oh i'm interested in that movie and then it shows up and like oh well i can kind of watch it whatever and i never (laughs) and i just kind of like say it just tell myself i'll watch it later and then i never get to it Mm and the urge the urgency isn't there because it's not like oh it's only in theaters for like a couple months i need to get out there 
yeah the the my list on netflix is just really like a graveyard of like expectations of like that look like hmm hmm and then (laughs) no off it goes (laughs) speaking of trying to choose things to watch on netflix have you guys tried the uh shuffle play yet no no you can now hit shuffle and netflix will give you a random show uh i'm i'm fairly certain it's not totally random i would imagine it's probably weighted heavily towards their shows yeah that screams paola for (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but but thanks to the the random feature i know that the television show cursed is garbage so so thank you you, shuffle play yeah i uh that that seems like a neat feature i feel like um you know i was gonna say something cynical about not wanting to potentially expose myself to grown-ups too um (laughs) But it actually, it brings up a thing that I had read once about um, how uh, streaming services and how they have the, uh, I'm trying to make this brief because it couldn't be more off topic, uh, uh, exclusivity rights. Like, you know, we've got the rights to show this and no other streaming service has this is a form of monopoly. Um, And Mm -hmm. if you made it so that no one streaming service could have friends, like, you could just if same like syndication like if you can afford to license friends you can have friends and yeah. then it's on uh it would then make um the the streaming services have to compete with features features like a shuffle a shuffle feature or <laughs> you know so i as much as i was about to like dunk on it i'm like technically that's what i w- i'm advocating for so good job netflix more things like that compete on those um it it begs the question yeah, for me that how many how many subscriptions do does the entertainment industry expect us to have? Um, I think it uh, maybe speaks to the the quality of the movie of how much we've talked about the business side of things and not so much the the movie itself because it, it was just like a I don't know it was a pretty tight movie. Do we want to maybe uh, hit the trailer, hit our little plot summary, and uh, carry on with what we thought about the the film? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. I have the new one. And she stabbed me, so I think she has potential. <laughs> So how old are you? We met in the Crusades. The Crusades? We killed each other many times. We fought thousands of battles side by side. So we really never die. Nothing that lives, lives forever. One day your wounds just don't heal up anymore. We don't know when. It is a lot to understand. <clears throat> just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop hurting. <laughs> You've seen my research. Now you know they're for real. I need all of them, cop. Oh. These individuals are extremely resistant to capture. We stop Merrick here and now, or he never stops coming after us. Everyone's still with me? Yeah. Jill? I'm very pissed off. Then let's go to work. Andy, Booker, Joe, and Nikki are just your average mercenary squad of immortals looking for a cut of the action. They're hired by ex-CIA agent Copley to rescue a group of kidnapped children in South Sudan. But hang on a tick, he's got an ulterior motive. Seems Copley suspects those ding-dang immortals are immortal and walks them into a trap to videotape them being killed and coming back to life. Their secret exposed, the mercenaries set out to find Copley and eliminate him. Meantime, Nile, an American soldier operating out of Afghanistan, receives a vicious slash to the throat, courtesy an enemy combatant. The wounds should have been fatal, but she awakens with nary a scratch. Nile is next visited by Andy, who detours to find the new immortal. Andy shoots her in the head, breaks her arm, and snaps her ankle, all of which convinces Nile to join the team. But twist, Booker is a traitor and gives up his friends Joe and Nikki to Copley and his pharma bro buddy. Now the stage is set for Andy and Niall to rescue the team and continue to not share their immortality with anyone else. Go team. <laughs> this doesn't have Go anything to do indeed. with the movie, Scott, but I, I always really enjoy you reading the plot summary. I just love your radio voice. It's, well, thank <laughs> you. It's so good. <laughs> I should do actual movie trailers. I think you should. I mean, the the, the movie guy, he, you know, he, he never... You know, when he died, nobody really replaced him. It's true. So I think there's a job opening. Yeah, that's why how much (laughs) of that that would. No, let's get back into that industry talk. (laughs) The movie trailer guy, you go back, you watch those little trailers. He's in all of them. Let's do the hit. No. (laughs) (laughs) But this movie's Um, pretty good. I I, uh, I, I don't. 
this I think the changes portion of this this show is is going to be very interesting because like I don't think there's too much to complain about. Yeah, I'm glad we have lots of listener comments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me personally, like the plot is 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 pretty decent. Um, um, the action's serviceable. Um, I like the cast. Um, I I like I really like. Um, the characters of Joe and Nikki, um, they're really good together. Um, and, um, you know, Shirley's Throne's great. My only real beef with the movie, <laughs> I don't know if this is really much of a complaint. It's just like, I feel like it could use a bit more flair and style, a la maybe like a, an atomic blonde or something like that. It, it just, mm-hmm. something, something about it left me wanting in on the and, and I, it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly where, whether it's um, you know the photography or the editing. There, there's a lot of really nice, even TV type lighting in this movie, and and I and and if there, if if it was a bit more dramatic, you know, and and if there was a bit more flair in the in the camera camera movements and and framing choices i think that i would have enjoyed it a little bit more yeah the movie's structurally very good it's just kind of bland looking i i get what you're saying it it has a very television feel and we mentioned this a couple times even while we were watching it um whereas something yeah something more dynamic uh some more interesting cinematography would have serviced the movie better and made it, I don't know, maybe pop more. There's a couple scenes where they go back in time and and show Andy in the past uh, with her immortal buddies, and those scenes specifically feel very Saturday afternoon Hercules type. Yeah, I got a Xena <laughs> vibe from them. Yeah, like it, it. They they looked a little bit like an afterthought. I mean, they were very short scenes. They didn't last long, um, so I can understand the production team not spending too much time on them. But but the the costumes in those scenes um, felt like they again like they lacked a little bit of flair and and uh, and maybe a little bit of detail. Uh, and I and I just didn't feel like I was I was buying those scenes as much. Yeah, we. <sighs> We've already hammered on about how it looks like TV, but the other reason why it felt kind of TV-ish for me is because this really felt like the pilot to a television show. This felt like a two-hour pilot. Hmm. Especially See, because I, especially because yeah. the end, it literally just hmm. immediately sets up for, like, here's season one, here's season two. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. It didn't feel like a, co- a cohesive and, and complete movie. Um, see, I, I, I actually, with the exception of, it's actually why I hate that last beat where, uh, her, her friend shows up at the end that like post title card, like, what? like kind of singer. I really disliked that. Like the last 30 seconds of the movie chapped me pretty hard, but I love the rest of it. And I would actually say it does stand on its own as a film. Uh, again, reading the comments, a lot of people were like, and I know we'll get to them later. And, and even you just said it now like it was setting up a franchise or setting something up. And again, maybe it's because I came into it with zero expectations, but like everything that this, every idea the movie presented, it paid off later. I was like, what about, you know, everything from like actual character beats to just like those sci-fi what ifs, like, oh, what about kids? Can these immortals have kids? Booker talks about his sons. Cool, we know they can have kids. Like they spent some time on those like, weird sci-fi what-ifs and on characters and the action like it was just measured it perfectly measured dollops of story beats and where i wanted to see things and what i wanted to find out and i felt very satisfied at the end i felt like i saw a cohesive thought and then which is why i was so bothered when they're like oh by the way in the sequel, this lady. And I was like, oh, you just undermined, you undermined everything you just did. It'd be like somebody making a beautiful Sunday, putting the cherry on it and being like, no, nah, some of those cookie crumbs from the bottom should come up in the top here. And it's like, you fucked it up. Yeah. Now, um, and maybe, maybe it is that last beat that left such a bad taste in my mouth that it kind of, kind of 
pulled the rug out from under the ending for me. But like, yeah, I agree with you on the story, though. Flick. Like, yeah. the characters yeah. are solid. The story is competently put together. Um, and considering our podcast is mostly about nitpicking a story, <laughs> that's going to make <laughs> the second half of this a challenge. But uh, I'll go one step farther than than nitpicking it. One of my complaints, and and go back through old episodes, you'll hear it. I, I, I very rarely resonate with the emotional beats in action movies you know in an emotional movie like a drama yes in a comedy usually because i'm in a good mood i'll buy it but i always find even like like stuff like ready player one or whatever when they try to have like a stop the action to have a emotional moment i'm basically just hoping it's not a cringe like as long as it's like serviceable i'm like hey phew we got through that this every emotional beat in this movie i had some investment in um and uh it was very refreshing because i don't i don't get that from a lot of action movies i don't know what it was about this movie that sucked me in so much but i was like i was on board for every moment i think that that's i think it's mostly true uh except for the character of nile i didn't uh get a lot of emotion on out of it um yeah just a picture of a dad yeah uh yeah i think we were sort of mentioning in the in chat while we were watching it that like um nile doesn't necessarily like her her journey doesn't necessarily um add much to the movie just in the way that um it's presented typically like when you're you know, she's kind of like the fish out of water character, and usually you you would follow that character into the crazy world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, we're introduced to the crazy world first, and and then we get the the fish out of water character, um, and that's just more of like a, a structural thing. And 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 I don't think that that you know changing the structure, uh, you know, this particular structure can't work. But um, I just feel like it didn't service her emotional story particularly well. And I didn't, I just didn't feel like I identified as much with her because I was, I was too busy, um, you know, already being invested in what mm-hmm. the, the central group of uh, mercenaries was doing. There's actually one thing that I, that we all kind of were like, this is weird. And it was earlier in the movie and it centers around Nile and it's after she gets, killed for the first time and then she comes spoiler alert she comes back to life because she's immortal um her like all of her colleagues in army uh begin treating her like she's some kind of pariah and all of us were like that is really weird like that's a really weird choice that the movie made that all of her friends are suddenly like oh you're the way to live freak uh, yeah. when, when we all agreed, like everyone should be like, it's a miracle you survived and we're so happy. And she should be, she can still be out of sorts about it. Cause she's like, I, mm-hmm. I could have sworn I died, but it's really weird for everyone else to suddenly be giving her the cold shoulder because she miraculously survived. And I mean, it sat, it didn't sit well with me and, uh, we all brought it up in the chat. So I assume that it didn't quite sit well with you guys either. Eh, I, eh. I, I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm going to, to say I didn't really phase me too much. I, I, I definitely saw your comment and was like, yeah, that is kind of weird, but I didn't like, I chalked it up to just like, that'd be a whole other like thing we'd have to like, because part of, I think part of the reason why her character feels a little hollow overall is because there's as much interesting about a new immortal as there is interesting about a very, very old immortal. And we spend much more time with, you know, the, the sci-fi what ifs of the old one and less with the new one. And so one of those what ifs is like, what would the people around you react like? And we just didn't have time for it. So a quick cold shoulder to show something's new and weird and move on to the Andy story. Well, I also, I think the the main purpose of it is to, is to show like her. uh, Niall is supposed to be alone now because she's immortal. That's the, that's Mm -hmm. the thing that they keep telling us. Right. And so, her her getting the cold shoulder from her compatriots sort of illustrates that before you know it it, it clues the audience into the into the theme of of her journey I, before I, it's out and out expressly told to us um yeah i which certainly I guess get, is fine i mean i can excuse it from that perspective 
I certainly get the doylest reason why it's there is also to give her less reason to go back to army after mm-hmm. after she's been abducted by uh, by Andy. But it technically just, the Marines, but yeah, it's fine. <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, the point is that it's the army, not necessarily yeah. infantry, but the the army people. Um, but I feel like it was clumsily done, and that's why it jumped out at me. Uh, and yeah. the reason why it still sticks out in my mind as clumsy was because much of the rest of the movie was so competently done by comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the emotional Spe- beats for a lot of, of the other characters origin. are are better yeah. than than it's handled with her there. So. Keeps and cuts, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'd say hard cut the uh, uh, the last little bit there, but I don't. I don't have a whole lot. I well, I keep most of it. I um, I genuinely loved the, the. There's a there's a wonderful romantic scene that is great in a vacuum. Like as a scene, it's delightful. Um, but it shows up in the spot in the script that normally a. Um, comic relief bit would be and it does the same job of like plucking the tension string and making us go oh the same way like a a, um, a, a comic relief beat would Um, but it was just this like moment of genuine romance and then just like a little like oh and also it's a little bit of a joke Um, I loved it that was that was a big keep for me Um, I wish I, I hope I see that show up kind of deft craftsmanship show up in another film like it again because it was delightful yeah um can i just say something about um that scene and 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 i don't know if this maybe this is too heavy to go into um Mm -hmm. on the on the podcast but um I think for me, like I, I think what I appreciate about scenes like this in movies now and and that we've gotten to a point where uh, you know, gay romance is so normal and like normalized that it's it's you know it's it's really kind of it become sort of an afterthought. And and for me, like I grew up in a in a small town, and like and I would say that my childhood was was um, extremely homophobic. It's probably the best way of putting it. And I, and I don't I don't think I overcame that until my mid mid twenties, and I think even then, like I was probably it went from actively homophobic to passively homophobic for you know another uh, five years or so, and and uh, I I you know when I watch scenes like this, I'm just reminded of like what it you know it's great for representation for the for the gay community obviously <clears throat> but just for someone who who grew up the way that i did and just like um you know having to grapple with um you know my own journey in in being more tolerant and accepting like uh, you know these um i i i come to really in, enjoy these scenes where it's just it, where i just know that like uh i they don't they don't bother me they don't they don't that they don't spark that old childhood homophobe anymore, you know? And, and, um, and I'm glad that like, there's so many movies that are, you know, starting to treat, uh, uh, gay characters, um, you know, so much more like every other romantic couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's totally normal in this movie. It's yeah. It's just, it's just part of, it's, it's just who they are. And like, and I feel like it's like it's it's easily the it's 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 a actually kind of like a touching romance I think between them and and his his speech is it's a it's a very good romantic speech I thought yeah and that's, like that was more my takeaway just like yeah. you know the just the romance of it regardless of the the who it, it was just it was it was poetic and and beautiful yeah, yeah. as a, as a piece of film um, yeah and uh, they make it they the the the. the they make a really good couple and I, and I like all of their interactions. I like, I like that they're sort of like, even though they've been captured, they're kind of like, they're still pretty confident, right? Like they're, they're still acting like, yeah, it's no big deal. You know, we've, we've been captured. We'll be fine kind of thing. And, uh, they're, they're sort of, um, sarcastic way of dealing with, uh, a kind of a horrible situation was really endearing to me. I think, it's interesting because they were captured together and they have total comfort in each other. So the fact that they're being tortured by Dr. Mengele there um, 
together, they they have strength in each other. And it's reflected in that kind of witty banter and that just casual confidence that they'll be fine. Because I feel like if they were captured individually or they were being kept apart, it would have been much harder on both of them. And it's a testament to how well those two characters are written that I can say that with confidence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's total speculation. Like, it's utter subtext. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the the villain, uh, I'd I'd keep him. Uh, I thought it was uh, well well played and funny and and a good twenty twenty. I was going to ask about what you guys thought about the villain. I I he was, I don't know. He's he's a little over the top for me, um, but he is kind of like your mustache twirling villain, and that's that's kind of fine. You know, he's he doesn't have he, any particular redeeming qualities. He's just the yeah, guy. Yeah, he's pretty cut spo- and dry. Like, yeah. a, I'm like, I'm going to do the bad thing. Yeah, for bad you have, reasons. You have yeah. Copley, who's got a journey and who has a redemption arc. So, well, even it's Book fine does. to have this him oppo- You know, have this bigger baddie who 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 has no redemption in him. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting. And, then, the and doesn't who, get that. The guy who's tracked yeah. them down and set them up has a redemption arc. The guy who betrays the team is effectively redeemed like nobody's even super upset about it by the end of the movie they're just like yeah you need a slap on the wrist over this and his motivation is totally understandable um Mm -hmm. but farmer bro is like you said he's doing the bad thing for bad reasons he's actually doing a bad thing for good reasons but that's about it because yeah like at the end of the day he wants to make a lot of money he's a farmer bro he wants to become very very rich by selling immortality to people but he's couching it in we can still help a lot of people and Mm -hmm. and and like you said there's two more interesting sort of antagonists who have arcs that he doesn't need to be well developed or fleshed out he can just be sinister and then die sinisterly like he doesn't even get a nice go out like they don't have a big fight with him at the end he just although he's ganked He's he's a nerd. He's not going to be. Yeah. He's not going to be a big. But even fight but scene. sometimes nerds like though they'd whip out the suit or be like, "You haven't seen my final form or one last trick up my sleeve." Whereas he's just like, "I'm a I'm a sniveling evil monster, and you've come for me. I'm dead." Like it's basically great. Yeah. I, that you know. Well, his I mean the the fight scene with him is going through his private army and his super bodyguard and then killing him. Yeah, uh, it was it was pretty much beat for beat how it should have been. Uh-huh. He was a douche who got thrown out a window and axed in the neck. One last thing before we head into break here that um, uh, this may affect our changes and how we tackle in the second half. But Copley, his his initial um, betrayal of the of the mercenary immortal group. Uh, is it too harsh? Like, yeah, he sets them up and then they all get shooty shot. Um, but the team that he uh, sends in to kill the immortals get ganked really horribly. Yeah, he, he sends like six guys to their death. I thought about that. <laughs> oh, no, no, a, no, no, that's no, no, like no, no. Real... Gentlemen, gentlemen, he doesn't send yeah. six guys to their deaths. He also sends that second team to the church, and they all get slaughtered by Charlize Theron to the oh, point yeah. where they where they have an oh no moment and retreat. Uh, he he probably sends twenty to thirty men to their deaths against these people, and doesn't really seem to care. Yeah, is that, that is that like a little bit of a bridge too far for his character? Like in doing so, does he does he become too much of an asshole for their redemption? I don't know. Maybe if it was I, a little a valid, more clear, I think that is pretty valid. It, maybe if it was a little more clear that Shkreli's, uh, m- like, mercenary army are, <laughs> are like, absolute monsters. Like, they're just, like, they're the, the absolute worst of the worst. And, of course... they're just paying bills. Yeah. That's- and and if, if you set them up that, like, it's, it's not monstrous to kill these guys because they are themselves monstrous, I think that mm. maybe gives you a little bit of pass. Nobody's going to cry over you killing Nazis, for example. Yeah. Um, but they're really not. They're just like mooks. And I think that that, yeah, I think you're kind of right. It's a little gross that he, he was, <laughs> he sends a lot of people to their deaths and doesn't yeah. really shed a tear Especially over Especially when his central motivation is saving life, right? Like, yep. Yeah. That's, I hadn't really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if, if that, if, um, Shkreli's, uh, general was with him the whole time and, you know, Copley, was kind of 
you know, it's kind of set up that Copley doesn't have total control from the outset. Maybe that softens him a little bit. Yeah, because then it's the uh, then it's the security chief who's responsible for sending all these people to their deaths. Yeah, which might be the case in the movie, and it's just kind of not really made clear because he's working for Farmer Bro right from the start. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Have to think Things on that. to ponder as we're getting into it in the second half. Well, let's go to it. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your energy from. You get to choose that. That's the thing you can choose. BC, no. Saskatchewan, get out of here. Alberta, you can choose where you buy your energy from. And if you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Hey, money, quit packing your bags. Don't head over to Saskatchewan. You can't choose where you buy your energy from there. Money, you stay right here. Get cozy, sit on the couch, your money stays here when you choose Park Power. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits. No Park Power, they're not-for-profit. Don't They don't want it. They don't want your profits. It's right there in the name. They're working to make a difference in their communities. Oh, that's probably what they want the profits for. So yeah, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kazaski, And we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network. So it's a great fit. Park Power. Chris Kazowski, Alberta Podcast Network, money that has stayed here, its bags are unpacked, all of it, great fit together. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're talking about Old Guard. Uh, what would you, what are your notes for this movie, guys? I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've... <laughs> I have something that is fairly specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'll maybe I'll take this one first, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll uh, inspire. Maybe it won't. Sure. So the uh, we talked about in the first half um, about uh, Niles' compatriots' reaction to her becoming immortal. Um, and I was also thinking about um, Niles' kind of arc with the relationship with her family and how she's meant to cut ties with them. And that's kind of a, a fairly big part of her journey, right? To, to come to the conclusion that her life as she knew it was over and now she must, you know, move on. Um I didn't feel like that particular part of it, um, like I understood the arc, but I didn't, I didn't feel the emotional weight of it. Uh, so I wanted to do a couple things to maybe beef that up a little bit. One is, um, can also, it can also give us a little bit of an extra oomph when it comes to her fellow military buddies. So I thought of, of using her, her the relation like upping a relationship with her brother we don't actually hear her brother ever talk or anything like that but the opening scene instead of them being straight into action we can see Nile um maybe in the bunks with her um military buddies and Nile's got a letter from her brother and her brother and her have this cute little thing that they do that this some sort of game they play over um, over male correspondence. And what I thought of was that her her brother tells her to look up, you know, at a star at a certain date and time. And then they both look up the stars and that way. They're kind of like looking at each other or whatever. And, you know, the, the her military buddies can have a a little fun with the fact that like, you know, in, in Afghanistan and in the United States, like they can't possibly be looking at the same star at the same time because night doesn't fall around the same time. So, but, but um, you know, he's young, he's like six years old. So um, she just loves to do it just cause you know, it's cute. And she does look up at the star. Um, when that gives us a moment with her military buddies to sort of like solidify their friendship so that when she dies, um, you know, it, it's, it's felt a little bit more heavier amongst the, those buddies. Um, so it can feel even <clears throat> more tragic when 
they, you know, show a cold shoulder to him. And I might just have one of them show a cold shoulder to her while the rest are just relieved she's alive. Um, uh, you know, maybe the one that she died in the arms of is the one that's the most scared of her. And so that way you still get that sort of like, you're going to be alone, you know, because mm-hmm. people are going to shun you in some way. People who know the truth about you are going to shun you. Right. So then we move on to, you know, further down in the movie where Andy has um, taken Niles' phone from her so, so that she doesn't contact her family. Um, and at this point, uh, instead of Andy just like, you know, giving her phone back to her, which kind of feels like almost for no reason, um, we can have uh, Niall tell Andy about what her and her brother do, you know, over mail correspondence, you know, uh, and that way we get this nice scene at night where they're looking, you know, she's looking up at the stars and Andy comes upon Niall. She asks her what she's doing. She explains it. And it is that point where Andy decides to give her phone back to her. And this also helps Andy out quite a bit because her her arc is that she's become tired of living and as she puts it she's done a shit job of living so this is the first evidence we get of of Andy sort of transitioning and 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 you know being a better person again I had a proposed change that also had to do with Nile but I just want to reflect on what what uh, uh Greg said there for a second. Yeah, I think it. I think you're you're right. At giving using the the brother to be another connection for Andy to like reflect on what's changed in the millennia because she has that line of like, oh, you. I know why you came along to remind me what it's like to be beginning. You could bump that up to earlier in the movie and not have it be about wounds, physical wounds. Maybe have it be more about those like those philosophical questions that come with becoming a new immortal versus an an old one so yeah i Mm -hmm. think there's there's something to that yeah um my change would actually change the structure of the plot significantly but it's um and it's just a suggestion as something that could be done differently and it centers around nile being in the role of the rookie so that we have that as you put it, that audience surrogate who we follow with the immortals to learn more about them. But the problem is we already have bad guys who are following the immortals to learn more about them. And we can learn a lot about them through the bad guys. And I think maybe having Niall be in the presence of the bad guys earlier would give us the ability for her to learn at the same time that the bad guys are learning while the immortals are on their way to them. And I think that the way that happens is that at the beginning, Niall doesn't get picked up by Andy. She gets sent by the military to get picked up by the, by the, by the farmer bro. Yeah, okay. I, that actually really bugged me, the fact that the, the, she healed miraculously and nobody in the army went, like no well, army they, doctors was like, hey, this is fucked. And again, I just like figured it was because we had other parts of the story to tell. Yeah, and I mean, like, and then Andy try not to get hung up on. And then a but day, yeah, yours gives. Yeah. Yeah. Then a day later, Andy shows up and like kidnaps her. Um, my version is that she gets essentially betrayed by the army. She gets sold yeah. out to the farmer bros and they take her and she's captured. But the immortals still know about her. And now they're also being hunted. And so it's just a matter of time before they're brought together. And if Niall is with the bad guys during the, the buildup towards the big breakout, she can learn more about the immortals from the perspective of like uh, Copley, who's like there and can be like, I can explain to you what you are. I can explain to you about these people. And while he's telling her these stories, he begins to start he starts to realize they've actually done a lot of good and maybe what I've done is the wrong thing. And that's great. And so his, I like that a lot. His character yeah. development starts to happen a little earlier as well. So uh, like, <clears throat> it's a pretty dramatic change and it takes Niall away from Andy for a larger portion of the movie, 
But I, I don't know. I feel like that would be a more interesting way to play the rookie rather than just have her being tagging along with the, the jaded veteran, which is what we have right now. Yeah, you know which is that, kind of tired. You know what that does that you know what that does do, Scott, is that that because um, her you know her journey is is somewhat over. I would say halfway through the movie, like um, the 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 ending of the of the film is more about much more about Andy than it is Nile, right? Yeah. Um, so that that gives that you're basically like delaying her introduction to the the immortal group so that she has um a lot more choices to be to make at the at, when it matters most in the climax so i think yeah. that's that's genuinely a, a good mm-hmm. move overall yeah and um, then like she's plus, she's got impetus to join them because she's learned about them even before they've made it to her and she she's like she's been more uh strung out to drive by the army. So she has no real motivation to try to go back. And she has a motivation to help these people um, of her own volition. And I think that that, that kind of, you're right. It gives her a little more agency at a critical moment in the movie. And you're saying having her reconnect with them when they arrive in, in capture. Yeah. I mean, they still get captured. That works. That works too. I'd even say your your what you're pitching works as a half in, in, in half measures where Andy has to go instead of Andy going and getting her from the military, Andy has to go and get her from that place. And that's, that's, you know, even if you, even if you do everything you describe for like 20 minutes before Andy shows up and then it's, you know, I think it all, even that still works. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely yeah. right. That still works. I think that there was. I think like I there think was an opportunity. Also, if, she's, if she gets, if she meets up with Andy at the time of her betrayal too, if she's with Copley at that point, um, if she's with Copley that whole time, that also gives you an opportunity to explain who Andy is through uh, Copley and Nile. So he's telling her everything that she's done in the past, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. So well, like, then uh, one thing it does make a bit of a Mad Hatter change places situation, because now who do you have as your deus ex machina to, to come kick the door in when the four of them are in their, you know, character death part of the uh, hero's journey? Uh, and I'm, I'm going to answer my own question with Copley. Um, yeah, his, that, that his change works. of heart is. Yeah, I mean, it it puts it it removes a female character from the cat from the role of the cavalry in that moment, which I can understand mm-hmm. might be seen as a little gross. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's also the possibility that once all five of them are together in captivity, that gives them the ability to work together to get out and they don't sure. need someone to come and rescue them. That's a good point. Yeah. Or the yeah, d- I, a different I, deus ex machina, like a, a, a lever or a MacGuffin or yeah. <laughs> I or think, even uh, book, I or even I, you leave. I remember you leave, saying this in chat. Oh, or, sorry, or you even maybe leave book as the cavalry because uh, yeah. he could he could betray them, and the deal was that in turn he would not be captured, and then he feels terrible mm-hmm. about it, so he goes to rescue them. Yeah, I'm just like these. We're just spitballing ideas here. Uh, sorry, Greg. Yeah, you these, were gonna say, it's, yeah it's I did. The thing is, I do, I do like, I do like the way that the movie handled the conclusion in the sense that. Um, there's a moment between Copley and Nile where Copley is insisting that he's going to go into the building and, and help her, uh, save her compatriots. And it's like, she just tells him, no, like, you're not a mortal. You're just going to go up there and die. Like, please fuck off and let me do my job. And I thought, I thought that was actually just from a, a, a movie goer perspective was kind of refreshing just because usually like you know that like some studio hack somewhere would typically read that part of the script and be like well of course he's gotta go into the building with her you've gotta have a man go in with a woman kind of thing right i don't think he'd be that blunt about it but just like (laughs) that like people want him to go he's a he's a good guy he's gotta go yeah sure yeah exactly Uh, like it was just it was just nice that it was like nope i i'm i'm the one uh who's who's in um in most in control of the situation and most adept at being able to 
to solve the problem. So you could, um, you're, you, you're no, you're no longer in need to clap Copley. See you later. Kind of thing. So you could still have a variation of that though. If Niall has been captured by farmer bro and his team for a while, she knows the building pretty well at that juncture. She knows the soldiers. She knows their patrols. And so she can still be in a position to kind of take point on on an escape. She could have even planned an escape. And when the other four arrive, that gives her the people she needs to be able to do it. And mm. so, like, it's it could still be an empowering moment for her where the old guard, as it were, has to, like, hand the reins over to the rookie because she's got the plan and she knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> uh, my only cut, like as I as I said at the beginning, I thought uh, glowing things to say about this movie. I had a great time with it. So my <laughs> my two cuts are very specific, though I do think there's a little bit of uh, perhaps another pass at the ethics of how many people Copley sends to his death. I think that <laughs> that actually is warrants a second pass. But my 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 detailed ones are um, they. I don't want that stinger at the end where Booker meets uh, whatever the care. I don't know what her name was because she's not even a character in the movie. She's only in it for the last five seconds. But the friend that the friend that was drowned, the yeah. the immortal that was drowned, shows up at the end to to se- essentially set up a sequel. Which I'm I'm fine if that character is in the sequel, but it really undermined the drama that that character played in the f- in the film we saw. Um, the, that that scene of her drowning was traumatic and and moving and a great part of the film and to then have her be like just kidding I'm here I was just like oh god damn like so hard, hard cut that didn't need to happen I don't care about a movie that you haven't made yet I care about enjoying the one I just saw um and then also cut the uh the shithole filter over Afghanistan um yeah. the fact yeah. that it's just one of those things that American movies do movies do where they depict the Middle East with like a sepia tone, a sepia filter, um, just a, gr- a brown, dirty look to the whole landscape, including the sky. And it's like there are blue skies in Afghanistan. It's <laughs> there. It's there's not brown dirt sun. Like it's just. And I've heard it referred to as the shithole filter. And I noticed it immediately. Cut it out. Afghanistan has beautiful landscapes. Those yeah, are my two, those I, I are my actually two went when when you had mentioned that in chat. I actually went on a, on a journey of uh, of Afghanistan landmarks and like there's there's some lush places in Afghanistan that are absolutely gorgeous. And there's a couple scenes like when we were talking like like the entire color color palette was beige. Like they like just buildings beige. The 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 uniforms beige, the hats beige, the boots beige. Like it was just like I was like I can't. It's, I'm actually amazed that I can uh, distinguish one thing from the other in this scene because it's all the same color. Mm-hmm. Well, is that is that it? Are we? I, I, I think we we're. Yeah, I was gonna go right into it. I was just like, taking a beat, and then I was gonna <laughs> just go right into listener comments. You don't don't, yeah, don't you sweat well. it. Yeah, there's. Um, I think we all agree the movie overall pretty good. Uh, our couple of suggested changes are are mostly just like almost kind of just like what would happen if what would happen if they made yeah. a slightly different decision, and yeah, and, and you know if if the listeners want to critique our changes, uh, go ahead, send yeah. us a send us a message, tell us if you think we got it, we got something here or we got nothing. Yeah, and uh, we do appreciate your comments, and let's go to some of the comments you had for this movie now. Uh, Nathan Martin says, I want to say something, but I haven't seen it yet. So I guess I'll be like so many people on the internet and just say this. Did it need to be two hours long? Probably could have been longer. Charlize is always awesome. The trope of the real bad guy was your friend the whole time has been done to death. Action was good, but we need to stop editing action this way. And lastly, neat concept, but Highlander did it better. Lol, I honestly just want to see this, just need the time, but I don't want to be left out. So I'm assuming this is your comment was stuff you've heard people say but can't corroborate yourself. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, like much of the general consensus of the internet, wrong on most counts. Uh, I appreciate also, the loyal the loyalty of of Nathan Martin chipping mm-hmm. in even though he hasn't seen the film. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> and I mean to be fair, the trope of the real bad guy was your friend this whole time. I mean, there's some betrayals in this movie, but the the real bad guy is the, is a bad guy like the whole time. Yeah. 
and and I'll say this to this movie's credit: it is true that like the friend who you know one of the four sold them out, and that it, I you know obviously it's the guy who was still alive when everyone else got captured. Um, but to this movie's credit, I was engaged with it enough that I didn't find myself trying to guess those obvious tells. Yeah. And so, like, I wouldn't say that it, like, got me. Like, oh, what a twist. I didn't see. I can't believe you betrayed them. But I just, like, when she checks the gun and she's like, the gun's empty. I was like, I didn't. I forgot to, to criti- I, th- I forgot to be critical of Ms. Motives. You got me. Like, and I, it, I will it, actually add something about his motives, too. His motivation mm-hmm. for betraying the team is rock solid. And... Yeah like stems back to his rumination on immortality about how you will watch everyone you know and love die. And it's a horror. Yeah. And that informs his betrayal. I can help maybe other people gain this power so that no one has to like get sick and die ever again. And when he realizes that like he's made that deal with a devil who is going to who has betrayed them all and is going to do horrible things to them and intends to uh, sell this immortality to people who can afford it, uh, he quickly turns back around and, and is 100% on board for their escape and is kind of forgiven at the end. Like, they're like, yeah, you you need to spend the next 100 years alone, but you're also immortal, so who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, that's that's an interesting take on the traitor character, and I thought it was kind of a refreshing way to do it. Yeah, just just the fact that he had a solid a solid reason. Uh, and not even like a selfish insult. Like, well, selfish, but like so often they're like just so uh, selfish. And this, yeah, was, the like, money, much more. the money was good. So, so long, yeah. Charlize. Matthew Jameson commented, "I thought it was a good premise, but felt it was really just a setup movie for a larger franchise. I don't mind the franchise aspect because it's a good enough concept to flesh out, but don't waste a whole movie on setup." Uh, and I'm going to actually, just before we comment on it, I actually want to go right into the next one because they're both kind of like sure. the opposite comment. Uh, Lori Plant said, great opening movie to what should be a franchise. Uh, it'd be an absolute shame to waste this potential. As a standalone film, it's not flawless, but very, very good anyways. Give us more Charlize kicking ass. I mean, yeah, actually, like, I don't I don't necessarily agree with Matthew that like the, the whole movie is is franchise setup. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, it's like it is it is the opening movie in a series. So there's going to be a lot of concept setting up. So that's kind of normal. But like it, it, outside of like Ezio um, 4 becoming Bosley and then right directly after that, we get the, the stinger of the uh, uh, of Andy's friend coming back like. That's about the only two like real sequel baity things in it. And yeah, maybe those are maybe those are too egregious for you, but the rest of the movie is fine. Yeah, I as somewhat like I said, I walked in cold on this, and I don't. I got a hard disagree, Matt. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and I think we can all agree with Laurie Plant that action Charlize is a great Charlize. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Atomic Blonde is is so so good. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Harley Muncy commented, This movie felt like they used the algorithm to write it. The costuming is awful, everyone is dressed the same and looks so boring. Kind of agree with uh, that, yeah. actually. I think I think everybody could look more distinct. I kind of get that they're <laughs> trying to keep a low profile, but I, I still think that visually each of the four characters could dress a little more distinctively than they do. Kind of like... I, I, you know I say like this is, it looks... It looks like a Netflix film. Yes, that's what, that's that, what it's I got that cheap, I just yeah. like there's something about the Netflix original films. That it just I I don't know if they're uh, like are they all using the same the same camera or the I think uh, it's, like, there's a certain uniformity yeah, or like the, or they're like they're operating. It's it's almost like they're all operating off the same color palette and the same equipment and stuff like that. And just like something about it just feels f- too familiar from one film to the next and it's hard to pinpoint what it is but yeah yeah they all kind of have a look uh also just to go back to what uh scott said about like each one should kind of be something you know what movie dresses their immortals in each unique way is uh what we do in the shadows uh, yeah there's, True there's there's a bunch of immortals who each have their own unique aesthetic um harley continues to come in a friend made a good point uh of how is shirley's able to have her ear pierced well we've been shown that they can be injured 
so my assumption <laughs> is that she has to leave the earrings in forever because if she takes them out, the holes will close. Or they're magnetic. Yeah, they could be fake earrings. They sure look like they're pierced ears, though. Uh, the two gay immortal characters seem to exist so that they can do the awful trope of having them die in each other's arms over and over again. I mean, their um, backstory is they that they... die in each other's arms ever? No. Uh, also, their backstory no. is that they killed each other in the Crusades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I I actually... So, I, I don't think we have time for it, but I was... I, I thought about what this would look like if it was a... Um, a miniseries or like a series and and i definitely found there was space for uh an episode where it's just the the flashback to the two of them's life uh killing going from from uh combatants to friends to lovers to immortal i uh, no, i want to ascendant i straight want to see that whole movie i want to see two hours of that story yeah, yeah. i kind of also uh, want to see books yeah. uh books backstory too with him fighting with napoleon that sounds awesome and uh, Harley's last comment, uh, they should have killed Charlize's character. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that might have yeah, would have worked also. Yeah. That would have been the ballsy move, but I can see why they want to keep her around for the sequel. Yeah, Especially if the sequel has to be... Or, or kind of have it both ways, where like if, if she isn't in the sequel, you can kind of understand why. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other, the other thing is, if the sequel's big hook is that it's her friend who she was separated from hundreds of years ago and was left to drown forever coming back seeking revenge against her obviously blaming her for not having come and rescued her like that's mm-hmm. that's clearly what's going on then having her be dead kind of undermines yeah, it would be tough to tell that story yeah it undermines mm-hmm. that story so you yeah. kind of have to keep her around at least for that she might die in the next movie though Danica LeBlanc, friend of the show says queer immortals fighting for the world they must live in eternally to be better the original writer of the comics writing the screenplay so the transition to a different medium is smooth like butter. Spending time in the quiet moments of war, no notes. Yeah, Danica liked this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I really, I, it was just, everything about it was tight. Uh, Herman from the Modern Manhood podcast says, many notes like, why is it so boring? Why are people talking so much? You use immortality <laughs> to fight wars? Why is the pharma bro so over the top? You introduce an axe for what exactly? It's not as good as people say it is. I mean, you introduce um, I like the- that. I like that his is all questions and Danica's was all questions. Um, both of them <laughs> rhetorical and couldn't be a op- more opposite comment. Uh, for the record, you introduce the axe so that it can end in pharma bro's neck. Um <laughs> Which is exactly yeah. where it does. Um, yeah, and, it's, and it looks cool. I mean, yeah. how many more reasons do you need? Chekhov's Viking axe, man. Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I got it. Sorry, sorry, Herman. Can't say that I agree. The people talking so much, uh, as my friend Danica put it, spending the quiet moments of war. Uh, that's, you know. But, you know, that's that's what what's great about movies is to, to each their own. Yeah, uh, Technic- technically, we're all correct. Yes. Uh, Jay Runham, uh, bringing it home. Uh, my only notes are that this movie is great, and also, how dare you? Jay uh, Runham well, picking up the because... slack for our good friend, uh, our good friends over at Cinematological, who usually oh, yeah, tell us how them. dare us. Yes. <laughs> I we dare, yeah, we we do dare. We're a daring bunch over here. Oh, I one day, <laughs> one day we're going to end up being asked to do a Paddington film, and Jay's head is going to explode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah or Chef. <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry, I know we gotta close this out, but is Jeff and Jay Runham ride or die for Chef? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I like it. It's a good movie, but like... <laughs> take swings on... Okay, here. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, right. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, thank you all for commenting, uh, each and every one of you. Whenever we uh, agree or disagree, we appreciate your comments. Helps uh, make the show what it is. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us. This was our episode on uh, The Old Guard. Uh, T-H-E-E, The Old Guard. Uh, <laughs> follow us on Twitter and Facebook at I Have Some Notes. You can find our podcast feed at IHaveSomeNotes.com. If you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps us out. And you can remember to check out all of our sibling shows over at the Alberta Podcast Network website. There are 
dozens of shows there. There's definitely something that's going to fit your personal preferences. You can get a little sampling of them anytime you want at albertapodcastnetwork.com. A special thanks this week to Deja for uh, for providing, providing the research on uh, Old Guard and, and helping us contextualize it. Uh, research department, apparently something we have now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much appreciated. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's really appreciated. It's a really great job. Uh, we post new episodes every second week, and please tune in two weeks from now for Dungeons and Dragons. To answer your question from earlier, Greg, where can we watch it? I don't know yet. If any of our <laughs> listeners know where yeah. we can watch Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, we'd yeah. love a hot tip. Yeah, if you can, yeah, if you can let us know, <laughs> we would really like to be able to do the show next week. Uh, bar- so yeah, barring being able to find a copy, that's that's the plan. Uh, until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. <laughs> Backup <Yeah>. movie is Chef. <laughs> yeah, sweet, done. <laughs> I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Wear a face mask, Black Lives Matter, and keep watching the skies. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. My name is Kyle, and I'm the host of Putting It Together. From a very early age, I've been obsessed with musical theater, and in particular, I've adored the music of composer Stephen Sondheim. So I decided to create a podcast where I invite on a new guest each week and go through each one of his productions, show by show, and song by song. You'll learn about theater history, you'll laugh, maybe cry, but always, you'll be swept up in the music. It's called Putting It Together, and it's available anywhere you get podcasts.